0: To get started in this series? Yeah. Well, we're gonna start with a pop quiz. Look, look at the screen behind me. I'm gonna give you about 12 seconds to identify as many of those six figures as you can. Um, if you think you know everyone up there, raise your hand. Oh wow, some of y'all okay. If you think you know five out of six, raise your hand, four out of six. All right, we're gonna stop there because you know, yeah, that's we don't want to go any further than that. All right, so Top left, that's Napoleon Bonaparte. Anybody get that right? Napoleon Bonaparte's known as one of the greatest military strategists that's ever, ever lived. He's known for his bravery, known for his courage. Uh, Top middle, if you don't know that one, then we need you to go back to sixth grade uh, history class. That is Abraham Lincoln. Arguably the greatest uh, American president, brilliant political leader. Uh, Top right, somebody shout that out. Beethoven, perhaps the most famous musical composer in history, right? All right, bottom left, anybody know that man's name? Graham. Billy Graham, known as America's pastor. Uh, wow, what, what, a, what a life and what a legacy uh, Billy Graham left. The bottom middle, Tomlin. Chris Tomlin has probably written some of the most recognizable worship anthems of our generation. And last but not least, William Shakespeare. He was a playwright and poet responsible for some of the most iconic literary works in history. And I showed you this. We took this pop quiz for one reason. What do you get when you combine the military mind of Napoleon Bonaparte, the political leadership of Abraham Lincoln, the musical talent of Ludwig von Beethoven, the pastor's heart of Billy Graham, the heart of worship of Chris Tomlin, And the poetic flair of William Shakespeare, if you combine all of those elements, you get King David. What a life King David lived. So here's what we have to do. I don't want this series to be a... I don't want to be a history lesson. You know, I don't want you to just get facts about... The, the nation of Israel and the kingdom of Israel and King David, uh, but, but I got to give you a little bit, okay? All right, so when David comes on the scene, Israel, at least from a political perspective, is still very young. You with me? Still very young. In fact, they were on their first king. His name was Saul. And Saul was elected, honestly, uh, he was elected almost defiantly. As, their, as the nation's first king. The people elected King Saul. And things went really well for a while under the leadership of King Saul. And then he lost his flipping mind. He just went crazy. And so God shows up and talks to a prophet. His name is Samuel. And the books of First and Second Samuel chronicle this, this whole event that we're talking about. God says to Samuel, Listen, um, the, the favor that Saul had is gone. I've removed the favor, the anointing from King Saul, and I've selected a brand new king. Now, now do you notice the difference? Who elected King Saul? The people. Who selected King David? How, how many you know when we do things God's way, things work better? Is that true? And so, um, where we'll pick up today in our study, is in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and and God tells Samuel to go find a son of Jesse and anoint him as king. Now, I find it interesting, God didn't tell him which which son. He just said, one of their sons, and you'll know him when you see him, is going to be the next king of Israel. So Samuel shows up, asks Jesse, listen, I need you to get all your boys out here. We're going to anoint one of them as king, and Jesse was like, what, Whoa!" Saul's king not for long and so Jesse brings out seven of his eight sons brings the biggest strongest baddest to the top of the list and said obviously it's him you know and I know what that feels like I'm just kidding And Samuel says, It's not him. Brings out the second son. Samuel said, It's not him. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh son. Samuel says, It's not them. Are you sure you don't have any more sons? Oh, yeah. There's the kid keeping the sheep, but he's just a boy. And so they bring little David in front of of the prophet Samuel. (laughs) And in those days, the the way you anointed the king was you had this big flask of oil. And all of a sudden, Samuel walks over to a 15-year-old David and just starts pouring oil over his head. This is the next king of Israel. Now, now it, that sounds so poetic and cool and biblical, but imagine if you're David, 15, and all of a sudden this stranger with a long white beard starts pulling oral all over your head. That's going to be a little weird, isn't it? Well, David begins to realize that, wow, I'm going to be the next king. So do you know what he does then? Here, you know what you and I would probably do? We'd probably buy a new wardrobe. We'd probably start uh, taking over. We'd probably be the boss. We'd probably flex our anointed muscles. and know what we would do? Probably. What's David do? Well, first, I'm sure he gets a towel. Gets all that oil off of his head. Thank you for coming. Goes back to ten sheep. He goes back to the pasture. Sometimes later, some period of time later as he's still a boy he gets a call to come and serve the king i wonder how that felt knowing i'm going to be the next king and i've been asked to come and serve him to sit in obscurity and play my guitar it wasn't a guitar but it was something like a guitar to help the king go to sleep so what did david do after being anointed as king he tended sheep and he served the king. He tended sheep and he served the king. Listen, just because God's got a destiny for you doesn't mean. Just because God's got a destiny for you doesn't mean that everything changes today. I, baby, we bring me my Bible. I, I knew at 17 that God wanted me to be a pastor. I knew that. I called my not quite yet fiance and said, Donna, I I don't know how to tell you this, but I believe God wants me to be a pastor at 17 years old. Anybody know how old I was when I became a pastor? 39. That's 22 years if you're, you know, math like me. His destiny, listen, his destiny is the throne, but he serves faithfully as a shepherd and as a musician. And some years later, he writes these words. This is the 138th Psalm. I give you thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord. For great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. Aren't you glad? But the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand before the wrath of my enemies and your right hand delivers me. And here's our text for today. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Will you pray with me? Lord, over the next few moments, will you open your word to us? Will you teach us who you are and how you do things? God, teach us what it looks like to be destined, to have a God-given destiny, but have to wait. Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) What does it look like when we have to live our lives in destiny's shadow? Knowing God has a perfect plan and purpose for your life but you just don't see it yet David knew god had anointed him david knew god had selected him david knew god had appointed him but he went back to tend sheep and serve the king i'm going to tell you that you have a plan and a purpose from the most high god God has appointed you and anointed you for a reason, for a purpose, and for a destiny. And there are some of you who are in this room or watching us online and say, Dwayne, I believe you, but I just don't see it. How do we live in destiny's shadow? How do we live when we know God's called us, when we know God's appointed us, but we're still just tending sheep? Well, I think the best thing to do is for us to learn how David lived. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the other seven brothers and what they experienced on the day that David's anointed king? Was it rejection? I'm sure they felt that, but it wasn't rejection, was it? God didn't reject those, th- those other men. He, just didn't choose them for this role. He didn't choose them as king. But I'm sure in that moment it felt completely like God had rejected them. And but but David is is standing there dripping in oil and knowing that God had selected him, and it just didn't make sense. He's the youngest. He's the weakest. He's the most ill-equipped, or so they thought. He doesn't look like a king. Write this down. When you live in the shadow of destiny, you aren't defined by cultural standards or the opinion of others. 1 Samuel 16 and 7. When it doesn't make sense... Here's what Samuel said. When it doesn't make sense that it's David and not the other men, Samuel says, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Aren't you glad, by the way? People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When I I read that, you know what I hear? You know what? You can fool a lot of people with your outward appearance. You can fool your spouse. You can fool your kids. You can fool your boss. But God knows what's really inside. Maybe you don't check all the leadership boxes. Let me tell you a funny story. And I... I meant to talk to Daniel before I told you the story, but I'm going to tell you anyway, and I'll get forgiveness later. <laughs> so uh, a year or so ago, Daniel comes by the office and said, I want to talk to you about starting a young adults class. And I was like, man, that sounds great. And I don't know if you've been watching, but these guys have just connected, and they're growing, and they're, they're doing well, and they're learning God's Word, and there's they're, they're, they're a community they're, they're building. And it's beautiful. Yeah, I heard a little woo-woo over there. It's beautiful. And after things got going pretty well, Daniel and I were talking. He was like, well, there's something I didn't tell you. And I went, "Uh, okay. He said, I I didn't want to tell you this at the very beginning, but when I went through growth track, teaching wasn't one of my gifts. And I didn't want to tell you that because, you know, I just told you I wanted to teach. Listen, just because you don't check all the boxes doesn't mean God doesn't see your heart and can use you. Sometimes God gets his greatest glory when he uses you in spite of the fact that you don't check all the boxes. So you might not check all those leadership boxes. Maybe you've failed before. And you think that that somehow disqualifies you. For the destiny that God has for you. If if I would put that slide at the very beginning, every one of those great men failed. Maybe you don't check all the education boxes. Maybe somebody told you, uh, a a friend, a family member, uh, somebody you trusted, maybe somebody told you that you didn't measure up, that you weren't good enough. Maybe you've been discounted and overlooked. David's own father forgot about him. In the eyes of everyone around him, David was an afterthought, unqualified and unequipped. But God saw what others didn't. Where others saw a teenage boy, God saw a mighty warrior. When others saw a shepherd, God saw a king. Now listen. Listen, please. Oh, please get this. God sees in you what others don't. God sees in you what others don't. How about we pay more attention to who God says you are? You're a warrior. You're an heir with Christ Jesus, the King of all kings. You're bought with a price. You're not your own. You're a child of the King. And don't you dare let the enemy wrap you in some box of some standard that just because you don't check all the boxes. You don't have a place to write this down, but you ought to. Your destiny is divined by your creator, not your culture. David. God saw David's heart. God saw David's heart you know I I, I've told this story but I'm going to tell you again it's cool when you have the microphone and you can do pretty much what you want to (laughs) I'll never forget I'll never forget sitting in my pastor's office pastor I'm supposed to do what you're doing but I can't do what you're doing I This is going to blow some of you away. When I gave my heart to the Lord, I was shy and introverted. (laughs) I really, really was. I said, I can't stand in front of people and do what you do. And he looked at me with cold blue eyes and said, son, if God calls you, he'll equip you. See, God sees in you what others don't. He sees in you what you don't see. Write this down. God may prepare you for your destiny before he reveals it to you. There's this, there's this discourse that happened between David and his brothers. I'm sure Jesse, in some fatherly concern at some point, said, Hey, uh, you know, be careful. It can get dangerous out there. He's like, I'm good. Fifteen-year-old David, like, I'm good. He's like, you know, David, you're out in the wilderness. There's wild animals out there. And he's like, I don't sweat them. He's like, what do you mean? He goes, you know, there was this time when a a lion wanted to get one of my sheep. And I'm like, not today, Satan. (laughs) And I killed him. And his brothers are laughing, obviously. You killed a lion. Yep, sure did. Oh, and there was a bear, too, by the way. They tried, he tried to get one of the sheep. You know what I did? Killed him. Killed the bear. Ain't nothing but a thing. Killed the bear. Killed the lion and killed the bear. <sighs> you know, so what, what David obviously thought in that moment was God was teaching him how to kill bears and kill bears. Man, uh, every once in a while that accent comes out, doesn't it? <laughs> every once in a while he killed bears and lions. And take care of sheep. That's what, that's what David thought God was teaching him to do. No. God was teaching David how to rule as a warrior. And to be a king. And protect a an whole nation of people. That's what God was teaching him how to do. In the obscurity of a, of a, of a sheep's pasture. See, I know what it feels like to go, God, why? Why? Am I doing this now? I was a youth pastor for a very long time. In fact, it's it's weird now. The the guys that were in my first youth group are now in their forties, and they're our youth pastor. By the way, hang on, I'm gonna need a minute. Having children and grandchildren and it's just it's just but i can i can't tell you that there weren't moments when i went lord when i'm now the you know if you're you know you know the the what the plan is supposed to be you're a youth pastor for a couple of years and then you go be what everybody says is a real pastor <laughs> doesn't work that way by the way i remember there was this one particular one particular uh, Monday morning when we were in Statesboro. And we had been on a winter retreat. And listen, it was one of those powerful moments when God just moved and changed students' lives. And it was an awesome, awesome, awesome three days. And it was just so powerful. And I'm just riding this spiritual high on this Monday morning. And then my phone rings. Phone always rings, doesn't it? And it was a parent. And I was like... when. When I answered it and they told me it was, I was like, yeah, what's fixing to happen is she's telling me how great I am for helping her daughter, you know, experience God in such a powerful, profound way. She's getting ready to break. She's probably going to buy me lunch. You know, this is about to be a really, really good phone call. It was not a good phone call. (laughs) She chewed me out because I, I don't even remember now what it was for. It was something happened. Somebody said something that her daughter didn't like, made her cry. And it was just, you know, 20 minutes of just, yes, ma'am, I'm sorry. Yes, ma'am, I'm sorry. We'll try to make sure that doesn't happen again. Yes, ma'am, I'm sorry. Yes, I am the worst youth pastor that ever lived. And I take full responsibility for all that's happening. And I hung up the phone and I thought, this is the hardest job in the planet. There is no job harder than this job right now. Nobody has it as bad as I have it right now. Anybody ever got on that little? uh, Yeah, yeah, nobody has it. And so I walked outside and, oh, by the way, um, I said winter retreat, but it wasn't a winter retreat. It was, a, it was youth camp because it was the middle of the summer. And I walked outside, and there was a, there was a group of folks on the roof of the church next to me in 110-degree heat, roofing shingles. And I went, I'm going to go back inside my air-conditioned office, <laughs> let them do them. And I thought, maybe I'm, I'm not so bad. But I, I remember having those moments when God, uh, am I ever going to see what i saw you show me when i was 17 am i ever going to see that and i had no idea that in those 22 years god was going to take me down paths and he was going to show me things he was going to teach me things that allowed me to do what i'm doing today see he may prepare you for it before he shows you what it is so don't hate those moments don't hate those monotonous moments when you're if I, if I change one more baby's diaper in this nursery, if I have, you know, if, I don't know. It's just the truth is God is working in you to prepare you for what's coming. Here's, here's what the Bible says in, in 1 Samuel 13. But now your kingdom must end, talking to Saul. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him. David has no idea about it yet, but God's already got his hand on it. David's, God's already preparing David to be the leader of his people because you've not kept the Lord's command. Here's what I'm learning. I, I, love that. I love that passage that we talked about all last year. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Here's what I can say with great confidence that God will likely reveal your destiny to you one step at a time don't expect step two until you've been obedient in step one God I want you to show me what's ten years he's probably not going to show you what's ten years down the road you know what he will show you what what you need to do today Write this down. When you live in the shadow of destiny, you are defined by God's purpose and God's anointing. 1 Samuel 16, chapter, verse 1 says this. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil. Go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons to be my king. I have selected. I told you the difference between Saul and David. Saul was elected by the people, by human will. David was the king selected by the purpose and anointing of God. So here's... So what had to happen for David to take the throne? Saul had to leave the throne. Right? So human will had to die before God's will could take over. So what does that mean to me and you? God's plan won't take over as long as your plan is still sitting on the throne of your life. I've asked this question before, but I shall ask it again. Control freaks in the house, wave at me. God's plan won't take over as long as you're in control. See, what what your plan may look like is you clinging to your past. to, To your past failures, to your past hurts, to your past brokenness. As long as you cling to that, as long as that's sitting on the throne of your life, as long as you're defined by your past you'll never step into your destiny it may be past regret it might be past mistakes it might be past abuse that you had nothing to do with but as long as that defines you as long as that sits on the throne of your life god's purpose and destiny will never take over It might be a diagnosis that's sitting on the throne of your life. And you've defined yourself not by God's purpose and plan, but by the diagnosis that a doctor gave you. Get done writing because I need your eyeballs right here. You have mourned long enough. Fill your flask and find God's plan. That means move on. Be obedient to God's purpose and plan for your life. Leave the past where it belongs. That doesn't mean you can't glance in the rearview mirror from time to time and learn from it. But as long as you're in control, as long as your past is in control, as long as your brokenness and pain is in control, as long as your unforgiveness is in control, as long as your disease is in control, as long as your condition is in control, you'll never step into God's destiny. You've mourned long enough. You've dealt with this long enough. Listen, I know, I, I know past hurt and past abuse is a real thing. Stop letting it define who you are. You're an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. I know anxiety and depression and mental illness is, is a real thing. I understand that. And I believe, I, I'm, I believe that. Listen, if you struggle with anxiety, you struggle with depression, you struggle with some other mental illness, listen to me, it might be real, but it doesn't have to define who you are. Don't let it sit on the throne of your life. You've mourned long enough. And you know what that... That process of anointing, it looked really strange in the Old Testament because it was just this flask of oil, but it was very significant. When when you were anointed in the Old Testament with that flask of oil, here's what it meant, that God had selected you, that God had set you apart, and that He had equipped you for His divine purpose. So what does that look like now? See, we... We like to use the word anointing like, "Ooh, that song was so anointed. I felt there was just teal bumps and my hair standing up." It's not what it means, y'all. It means that just like that just like that flask of oil was poured over the head of David, the breath of Almighty God through the power of his Holy Spirit will fill your lungs and fill your soul and set you apart and equip you for his good work. You've mourned Long enough, fill your lungs with the anointing of God. Chase Jesus, chase His presence and power, and let God sit on the throne of your life. You've mourned long enough. All right. I want to give you some things to take home with you. Practical thoughts about what David taught us about living in the shadow of destiny. <laughs> I, I, I need you to hear this from me, y'all. Man, I've talked to so many people and they've said, man, I, I want got what God wants for me. I just don't know what it is. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Maybe God is teaching you obedience in the small things. Maybe God is teaching you how to be obedient with the menial, with the obscure, with the monotonous. Maybe God is teaching you how to be obedient in the small things. Maybe He's training you. Maybe He's molding you. Maybe He's shaping you to do what your ultimate destiny is going to require of you. It's, it's funny. Here's a, maybe this is a silly example, but Donna has people from time to time go, I want to sing on the stage. Do you? Well, first of all, can you sing? (laughs) That's not necessarily a, you know, make a joyful noise to the Lord, right? She said, but before you sing on the stage, I need you to come for weeks and weeks and weeks and do nothing but sit here while we practice. And oh, by the way, we get here really, really early on Sunday morning. So you're going to need to come and sit down and let yourself get prepared before you stand on this stage you got to be faithful in that seat but we like the stage how do had a gentleman come to me when we were youth pastors in statesboro and he and at this point our group was growing and things were it was very exciting frankly I, i'm just it was the most exciting thing happening in our church and I'm not saying that because I was the youth pastor. I'm saying because God had blessed and it was just growing and, and great things were happening. So he comes up to me and goes, I just want you to know I used to be a youth pastor. I was like, awesome. And I, and I want to help you. He's like, great. I need all the help I can get. He said, uh, you know, I've, I've spoken and, and taught, you know, teenagers so I can do that. And I was like, man, that's, that's awesome. He's like, what can I do to help? And I said, well... Uh, youth church starts on Wednesday nights at about 7. I usually start setting up chairs at about 6. So if you'd show up and help me set up chairs at 6, th- that would be great. Never saw them again. You know what? Because because we're prideful and we want we want the stage but God might be teaching you how to do what he's calling you to do but he might be doing it in obscurity with the monotonous and the mundane and nobody knows who you are but that's not a bad thing God's forming you and shaping you and equipping you to become what he's called you to do so so Here's what David taught us by living in the shadow of destiny. Number one, be still. What did he do after his anointing? He went back, tended sheep, served the king. Tended sheep, served the king. You know what? If I ever write a book to pastors, that's going to be the title Tend Sheep and Serve the King. That's our job. Tend Sheep, Serve the King. Be still. Be still. I know God's got something for me. Be still. It's in those quiet moments of solitude that you'll hear vo- God's voice the loudest. Be still. The second thing is connect with God's presence in a place of solitude. Man, I, I love it when we're... When, when, everybody's playing and everybody's singing and I hear you guys singing behind me when I'm on that front row I love the volume and I love worshiping in that atmosphere and it's beautiful but can I tell you when I've heard the voice of the Lord the clearest has been when I've been right by myself in a place of solitude now let me just give you a little disclaimer solitude and isolation are two very different things Isolation is where the enemy is going to work in in your mind. Solitude is where the presence of God is going to heal your heart. How do I know David did that? Because a few years later he wrote these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. You want God to use you? You want God to help you change the world? You want God to help you make a difference? If that's your goal, you better learn how to take care of your own soul. You may not get the next step until you learn how to do that, by the way. Number three, don't despise a season of obscurity. Nobody knows my name. Listen, God knows exactly who you are. Jesus said the very hair of your hair, hair of your head, was numbered. But, but we talk about obscurity like it's a bad thing. And there are people who work in obscurity around here, who pray, who love, who reach out. And you don't know their name. There are people every Sunday that work in obscurity. Nobody knows anybody's sitting up in that crow's nest until something goes wrong. Right? Here's what I want you... If you feel like you're in a season of obscurity, know that God sees you and is preparing you for what He has prepared for you. And lastly... So what did David do? He tended sheep and served the king. You're going to develop the heart of a servant. If you really want to be used of the Lord, you've got to be a servant. You've got to have a servant's heart. Listen, I know, I know you turn on the television and you see flash and lights and glamour you know, in the name of the church And that's all well and good. But I'm going to tell you, if God's really going to use you for more than just a show, you're going to have to have the heart of a servant. (laughs) Jesus said it this way. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. How do you develop a heart of a servant? I'm gonna give you three things really quickly. And you're all you done. Get to ask this question: Who owns your heart? God said, "I've selected a man after my own heart." Does God own your heart? Listen. Did you notice God didn't say, "I've selected a man who's checked all the boxes." And in, in our context, he's, I've selected a man who was a great church member. I've selected a man that gave more money than anybody else in the church. I've selected a man who looked the part. I've selected the man who talked the part. I've liked, selected a man that dressed the part. God never said that. He said, I'm looking for a man after my own heart. Does God own your heart? Are you chasing his? Listen. Step one of your divine purpose is to fall head over heels in love with Jesus. To surrender your heart and life to his. To lay down your life. If you, if you didn't get anything out of that Galatian series, I hope you got that. That there is one gospel. And that's that Jesus came and he did the work of the cro- on the cross for your salvation. And here's what I want to do is I want to lay my life down his i want to surrender my heart for his so who owns your heart the second thing is to learn to walk in humility we're not going to spend a lot of time here but just know listen if if you've got to tell somebody how great you are you're probably not what does that mean and then the last thing pursue integrity here's what we need to do, y'all. Those of you that are in the room and you're following Jesus, we need to be who we say we are. Now now listen, you're going to hear in a few weeks, David was a man of integrity, but there were times, not so much. Donna's gonna come and play, and, and I wanna pray for you this morning. Man, I, I I felt this so strongly as we were preparing this message that there were gonna be those in this room, those watching online, that feel like God has a plan for you and you just don't know what that plan is. And I want you to hear from your pastor's heart that's not necessarily a bad thing. What I'm gonna challenge you to do is to walk in obedience and destiny shall. And he'll get you there. See, there are things that we... You know, you you can read when Jesus went into into the wilderness to be tempted. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord led him into the wilderness. See, if you follow God, you, you may have to walk through some difficult moments. But even in those difficult moments, here's what you can be assured of that God's getting you where He wants you if you walk in obedience. Will you bow your heads? I, I just want to pray for you this morning, but I want to know who I'm praying for. I, I wonder if you're here and you say, Pastor DeWine, um, I know God's got a purpose for my life, and I've been frustrated. I want to see it and I want to experience it and I want to live it and I just I just feel stuck but I know there's another step I know there's something God's destined and appointed and anointed me to do I just don't know what that thing is so nobody looking around, I'm just gonna ask you to slip your hand up so I know I'm praying for. It. Amen. Amen. Or maybe you're here. Listen carefully, y'all. Say Dwayne, this this whole deal just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I'm not living for Christ. I'm kind of living for myself. To tell you a story. 2,000 years ago, the Son of God stepped into skin, became a man, and lived 33 years. The last three years of his life, everywhere he went, he served somebody and he healed somebody and he taught somebody. And then he taught us. He taught us how to live our lives. We live our lives by following his example. And then, when he was 33, He died on a cross, bearing the punishment for your sin and for mine. And then to prove he was God in the flesh, three days later, he rose from the dead. And right now, is sitting by the right hand of the Father, praying for you and for me. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I would challenge you to do that today. Well, How do I do that? The Bible says if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So you're going to confess your sins to Him. You're going to repent, which means you turn away from your sin. And you're going to commit the rest of your life to following Christ. I would challenge you to do that today. Lord, in Jesus' name, many of us in this room would say, God, I know you got a purpose and I know you got a plan for me but I'm stuck. God, teach us how to live in destiny's shadow. Teach us how to live when you've called us, but our steps are confusing. Teach us how to live when we're walking as closely as we can with you, but we keep tripping. We know that that things aren't like they're supposed to be, and, 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 and we feel like we take one step towards you, and and one step backwards, two steps towards you, and one step backwards. God, would you just arrest us with the power of your Spirit? Fill our soul with the oil of your anointing. Remind us, God, that we have mourned long enough for our past. We've mourned long enough for what happened, for our failures, for our sin. We've mourned long enough. Today, God, we take ourselves off the throne of our life receive your anointing and today God you're high and exalted on the throne of our heart God those that might have prayed a prayer today for forgiveness of sin God I pray that you would cover them with your purpose and destiny and that God most of all God that they would walk in newness of life as they pursue you in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name Come on, if you know you're a person with a God given destiny, I want you to stand to your feet and offer him an ovation of praise because he's good. Yes. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Have an awesome afternoon. Here's what I want you to do. Man, if God does.